Good morning and welcome to AC23, the podcast of the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge, where our mission is to foster the creative capacity and vibrancy of the capital region through advocacy, resources, and education. Well, joining me today are some folks from the LSU Museum of Art. I have Mark Tellus, the Executive Director, and Michelle Schulte. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Hot dog. Every now and then I get it right. (laughs) She is the Chief Curator and Director of Programs. Thanks, guys, for joining us today. You've got a really special exhibit opening this week, and it's hanging through March. It's Andy Warhol and Friends and Frenemies, prints from the Cochrane Collection. So, Michelle, tell us a little bit about this. I know you've been busy unboxing things (laughs) and hanging stuff, so... Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this. Well, we're really excited about this particular exhibition. We have borrowed works from the Cochrans, Wesley and Missy Cochran of LaGrange, Georgia. And they are longtime art collectors, um, in particular prints. They, they've focused their, their entire collection history on mostly prints, um, mainly by American artists who worked anywhere from the 1940s on. And they still continue to collect today. Um, and so I'm fortunate to have known them uh, from previous career moves and past museums. And when I got to Baton Rouge, I really wanted to do something big. And I wanted to do a name that people would recognize. And I knew the Cochran's had a large collection of Andy Warhol works, as well as a large collection of prints by 20th century American artists who are working within the same vein in mm-hmm. the time as Warhol. So with this particular show, we've borrowed over 35 Warhol works um, from Wesley and Mi- Missy. And over 65 works by other artists, abstract expressionists, conceptual artists, um, collage artists, and so on. And we're putting them together in our large galleries in the back, and it's really an exciting show because there's so many connections between all of the artists. They were working at the same time. They were all experimenting. They were all pushing the boundaries of traditional art. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited to open this show to the public. So... Mark, how do you how do you go as how does a museum bring something of this caliber to town? Because I'm really excited about it because I can remember hearing about Andy Warhol as a young teen and and just yeah. thinking, wow, he's really out there. Well, Michelle <laughs> and her team and curatorial have done a really good job in the short little over a year that you've been here, filling our calendar out for the next three years with some pretty exciting exhibitions like this. This one in particular. Um, is what we have called our gold frame exhibition. Each year we're going to have one major show like this that has broad appeal to people and brings in lots of families and individuals from out of state to come see the exhibition. And fortunately, we found a great sponsor in the Pennington Foundation that helped us. So in answer to your question, what does it take? Money. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of support. Lots of support. (laughs) And, uh, of course, it takes a lot of time and some expertise like Michelle and her her team have to uh, negotiate the contracts and to and to manage it while it's here because it is a, a wonderful exhibition that um, I think uh, we'll see a, a large attendance for. Yeah, I think it's have broad appeal across mm-hmm. the the Gulf Coast area, mm-hmm. not just locally. Or well, regionally. when I walked through it the other day mm-hmm. when, during installation, I told Michelle, I said, "This is like." A 20th century art history lesson. Mm-hmm. Just every major figure in 20th century from mid-century forward is in this exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really quite a 
an experience. Mm-hmm. So how many pieces all total do we as, are in the exhibit? There's well over 110 pieces. Wow. And um, like Mark said, we have not just Warhol. You know, Andy Warhol is a fabulous artist. He, he really made an enormous impact on American art starting from the 1950s forward. And, and he's still impacting American art today, um, as well as musicians and filmmakers. But the additional artists, the, 20, the other 20th century um, artists that we've added into it include, you know, William de Kooning and Helen Frankenthaler, Robert Rauschenberg, Jasper Johns, all of these heavy hitters, Rory Lichtenstein, Pablo Picasso, Salvador Dali. They're all included within this exhibition because, again, they were all pivotal um, in American art starting from after World War II forward. You know, we had American artists who were just doing amazing things and really pushing these these boundaries of traditional art and discovering new techniques and imagery and introducing them to the American people. Not everything was widely accepted at the time. Um, there was a lot of pushback, even with Andy Warhol himself. Um, there was pushback amongst the artists. Um, some artists like William de Kooning, he was just this amazing celebrity artist during the 1950s. He was one of the leaders of abstract expressionism and he was a very handsome Dutch gentleman and he would walk down the streets of New York and women would swoon and people would stop him for his (laughs) autograph. Well, he was heavily involved into these um, really broad gestural line paintings and drawings that were infused with emotion. Well, he saw what Andy Warhol started doing in the late 50s with pop art, which completely went against what de Kooning was doing and he hated it um and he famously approached Andy Warhol during a party and drunkenly told him that he was a killer of art <laughs> and a killer of beauty and even a killer of laughter and um Andy Warhol just shrugged it off but still there were contentions amongst the artists themselves about all of these different techniques mm-hmm. how did that what do you think pivoted so much just after World War II was it just well, I mean it's like the and the whole world mm-hmm. did shift, but mm-hmm. it like shifted mm-hmm. not just politics and things yeah. like that. But I think we were coming off of two world wars back to back, and then we were sort of getting into another war, and that's when Korea started to intensify, and then we went on in later um, later decades into the Vietnam War. But it was a time of, of political and social upheaval. You know, also Americans had lived through, a lot of these artists had lived through the Great Depression. Um, they had seen all these wars, and once World War II was over, we also started getting a lot of, a lot more artistic freedom um, coming over from Europe. And there were more of a mixture of people within these centers like New York and Detroit and Chicago um, in terms of the artists coming together. And I think that they all gravitated, it seemed, to New York. And they, it was like this wonderful soup bowl of <laughs> of artists that were all bouncing ideas off of one another plus also it was a time of social um progression you yeah. know we saw the civil rights movement we saw the second wave of feminism we saw the rise of things like the indigenous people's movement and gay rights movement and that also helped to push art forward because now all of a sudden art was a vehicle to get your words out to the public and the public was seeing these artists like celebrities. And I think that's also something that's really fascinating. Um, to have been alive at that time must have been really interesting to see those things yeah. going around in New York City. Do you think being able to use I'm what I know about art, you can mm-hmm. probably, you know, put on a small index card. But it seems to me like 
this phase of art was very much socially relevant and speaking out about so it more was. so than maybe in the past. Yes, well, you yes. know it, it's interesting that, like Michelle said, after World War II, really modernism was at its mm-hmm. height, but then people like Andy Warhol shifted this into this postmodern era, mm-hmm. which gives us a lot of the formulas you see. I was watching the mm-hmm. awards the other day for the films. Uh, the announcements, the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. you know a lot of the genres that we see in contemporary filmmaking really owe a lot to people like Andy Warhol mm-hmm. and their aesthetic and the way their films are crafted. Mm-hmm. The sort of cynicism that's in the films that was sort of an underlying mm-hmm. current of what Warhol made um, mm-hmm. made popular. So mm-hmm. it, it, he's he's very very impactful. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting. And Michelle brought this up as you see him in contrast to these other artists that, well, the the title is totally appropriate. Friends, yeah, friends and, and Frenemies. Friends and frenemies. <laughs> he had many. <laughs> he had many. So there were a lot of admirers. But then, and, but then there were also a lot of those individuals that were struggling against a lot of his ideas that you'll mm-hmm. see in the exhibition. Nobody likes change. <laughs> or, competition. or competition. Competition. Yeah. They don't like competition. Uh, yeah. They don't like and change. Andy Warhol was a celebrity artist. He he wanted to be famous and he really enjoyed the limelight. And sometimes that just didn't rub some people the right way. And others they just loved him and they flocked to gather around him like a magnet. Mm-hmm. Some people embraced the struggling artist persona. Well, he, he invented the whole capitalist model for an artist mm-hmm. too that you he see did. today. And so many artists, because he had a factory that he mass-produced mm-hmm. a lot of his artwork, mm-hmm. which sold for phenomenal prices. And mm-hmm. uh, that set the tone and the stage for other artists to follow suit mm-hmm. in the 21st century. And even many of the pieces, he didn't actually even pull the squeegee to create right. the silk screens. He had a partner yeah, and partner. an assistant named um, Jerry Malanga who actually pulled most of the prints. Even the imagery he was using, most of the photographs were taken by somebody else that he reproduced onto the screens. Mm -hmm. But he, again, developed this whole idea of this mass-produced, commercialized art. Um, And he relished in it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't offensive to him to be considered that. He actually enjoyed um, that he was creating so much tension in the art world because it got him attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always... Oh, that's one thing I've always thought about him was that he loved being in the spotlight. Oh, he did. He loved being in the spotlight. As a child, um, he was the youngest of three boys, uh, and he grew up in a in a, a rather low-income household. His father died when he was young, so his mother made a living as a housekeeper, and so they didn't have a lot of money. But early on, um, the family bought him a small brownie camera, and then later on, they bought him a small movie camera. And... He wanted to be in films from just a small child. He would talk about wanting to be in films and wanting to be a star. And so I think that he made his stardom through art, but then he also expanded his he expanded his um his sort of realm of creativity. You know, he did everything from managed bands, he started interview magazine, he um he made over six hundred and fifty films in just this short wow. time period of his life. Um he directed music videos. He worked with musicians on songwriting. So there were so many other things he did. He designed um, hundreds of album covers. 
That I knew. Yeah, which actually, if you think about the album covers, that even expanded more this idea of commercializing his art because, well, a certain number of people could purchase his screen prints, you know, because they were still quite expensive at the time of his life. When he would produce an album cover, all of a sudden millions could now access his art. They would have a copy of his art through these album covers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back when album covers were art. Right. Oh, they, they're making a comeback. <laughs> they you can, are, you can buy that. the Velvet um, Andy Warhol's Velvet Underground and Nico albums today with a banana on it. Um, they sell it at Target. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's still relevant today, yes. as, as is the band. So, so mm-hmm. of, of all the stuff that's, that's in the exhibit, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be a Warhol print, what's your favorite? You know... That's a really tough question. That is a tough Every day my favorite changes. Uh, right now, I'm deep into um, producing the labels that go along with the exhibition. And I think more so than imagery, it's the connections between all the, the artists that I find just, it's, I'm, and I find joy in it as I do more and more research into all of them. Um, just this morning, I was reading an article and I realized that Robert Rauschenberg, um, who is a, a very well-known American artist, he started these ideas of um, combines. And, you know, students study him in art history when they go into school and, and university and such. Um, he began using silkscreen techniques and his collage and his um, 2D work after visiting Andy Warhol's studio. Did not know that until this morning, but Andy Warhol was pivotal in his career as an artist because then he went on to sort of help make silkscreen and serigraphs a normal and everyday technique that was accepted by the art world. Because up until that time, up in, you know, through the 50s, silkscreens were considered a commercial production. You yeah. know, you don't buy those as art. And um, and I find those kind of things really exciting. Um, I love all of the images. I'm sorry, I can't tell you. My, everyone well, like will have to come and see it. Got the large portraits; those are yeah. really stunning. Yeah, yeah we were large. fortunate. Um, Wesley and Misty collected two series of ten pieces. One's a Western series with iconic figures from the American West, um, and the other's a series called Myths. And Myths is really fascinating. It's 10 images of um, everybody from superhero characters like Superman to the Wicked Witch of the, of the West to um, Dracula and Santa Claus. These were figures out of Andy Warhol's childhood okay. um, that he, he imagined and wanted to think about and be like. And he included a portrait of himself as the shadow. Um, but we have the entire series of 10. And... I can't begin to tell you how gorgeous they are in person um, because they have such a depth to them. And, of course, a lot of them have the diamond dust, the glitter mm-hmm. on them. And so in person, they sparkle. Um, and they're enormous. They're, they're about three by three feet each. Wow. And so we'll have them salon style on the walls. And it'll well, be really you beautiful. the West, so I'm assuming that's where you can find Sitting Bull and Geronimo yes. and mm-hmm. that, that group. Yeah, you're going to see so many familiar images that you may not even have known were Warhols. Yes. Um, oh, I, you know, I saw that in an advertisement because it's used often in a lot of contemporary advertising. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's expensive to use. You had to, I bet that. We had to pay rights and reproductions yes. on, on things for the newsletter. Yes. Okay. Well, my big question is, and probably everybody else wants to know, 
Are we going to see the Campbell Soup can picture, which is Andy probably the most famous thing Andy Warhol ever actually did. actually you will, and it came from a local collector. Mm-hmm. Wow, a generous uh, loan from a local collector mm-hmm. that we're real proud of. You want to tell them about that? Yeah, yeah, we will have a um, we do have a soup can on view, one of his soup can screen prints, along with uh, two wonderful photographs showing Andy shopping for Campbell's soup. Oh, well, I love it. In a it. grocery store. And so those are really wonderful because it really connects the um, the soup can ideology. Um, that is one of his most iconic pieces. And it's really wonderful how it started. There's a great story that goes along with it. But Andy Warhol was sort of griping about the abstract expressionists. You know, William de Kooning and Jackson Pollock. Um, they, were, they were slowly but surely adjusting their their painting techniques and styles and sort of moving on in past the um, abstract expressionism. And then these new artists were coming on the scene and beating Andy Warhol to imagery he wanted to use, such as imagery from Walt Disney. Um, He was beaten to the punch by Rory Lichtenstein on that one. Um, And so he was griping about it at a party and a designer named Muriel Latow um, told him that she had an idea for him, but she wanted $50 before she would tell him. And so Andy Warhol, um, you know, the showmanship whipped out a checkbook, wrote her a check, and she said to him, you have got to find something that's recognizable to almost everybody, something like a can of Campbell's soup. And then the story goes on to say that um, either Andy or his mother, um, whom he lived with until her death, uh, ran to the store and bought every single variety of Campbell's soup. And within the next year, by 1962, he was producing these Campbell's soup images and um, in different varieties. Everybody thinks tomato. He actually did more than one kind of <laughs> soup. <laughs> but the tomato soup is the most iconic. Okay. I believe ours is beef uh, yeah, broth. <laughs> so, but it was off to the races from that point It, it was. It was off to the races. And he was <laughs> producing these things. And again, he commercialized image, commercialized technique, commercial um, production, and he was okay with it. That's what he wanted to do. And he really pushed this idea of, of popular imagery and, and popular culture into the art scene. There's nothing wrong with more than one person having your art. No, no. And art. that's the glory of prints. Even to this day, it makes art affordable to the average person. And it really does. And, um, and I think that's wonderful so to think about. So how long have you been working on this, getting this stuff done? <laughs> I have been working on this since I got to the museum um, uh, about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we're really excited. We, we, we've been able to now plan out a lot of our exhibitions for the next two or three years. And so we really know what's coming. And we've got some great things coming up. We do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, why don't you tell us? I know not just exhibits, but you've got some other fun stuff, some interesting people coming back to visit us, right? Yeah, and we are opening this exhibition with um, a wonderful, we'll call it a FET, a factory FET, uh, for our members uh, on the 18th. And we're really designing this reception to be something you walk away from saying, I'm so glad I came to this mm-hmm. opening. And uh, if you're not a member of the museum, we encourage you to, to join because we have a a plethora of other things that are going to be happening over the next year. We spent a entire day Monday with mm-hmm. staff sitting down and looking at 2024 and making sure that we have um, the fiscal resources and the physical resources to get all of this done because we're a very small staff. Yeah. Uh, we get great support from LSU, but we are small staff. Small and mighty. Small and mighty yes. and busy. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
The other ones that I'm really excited about uh, include the Clementine Hunter exhibition, which is coming up in this summer, into the fall, and you'll hear more about that because she's an iconic artistic figure in um, in Louisiana and throughout the world. I mean, you know, people want to call her a vernacular or folk artist, but she really is a tremendous artist in her own right, yeah. and uh, is is somebody. To explore, you can't explore her work enough. And we're getting loans from a lot of different uh, private lenders. We're drawing on our collection and the collection of other museums. And then um, in October 24, uh, we're opening an exhibition, Rembrandt, <coughs> Rembrandt Goya, and Durer. These uh, master prints are going to be another one of those opportunities for schools to tour the museum okay. and, and do... A pretty comprehensive uh, overview of that period and that genre of artwork. So I think you know we have some great opportunities uh, for teachers to bring their children to the museum, and uh, you know they can do a lot of in tandem things with the Manship Theater too. So if they're planning to go to a theater production with the Manship Theater, um, they go right upstairs after that production and enjoy these exhibitions. So we're working closely with them to try and promote these in the future. So who wants to tell me when the museum's open, all that good stuff, where you're located, yeah. all, that, all, so the, all those gritty we details. We were talking, and this is something we've talked about with our, our staff about our unusual schedule. <laughs> so uh, we're, we are closed on Mondays. So that's, okay. that's really important to know. That's our day. to re We're still in the offices, but we get a lot of our work done yeah. on Mondays when the public isn't there. And Tuesday through Friday, um, we're open during the day and in the evenings on Thursday. Okay. And then on Saturday, and most people don't realize this, but on Sunday afternoons, we're open in the afternoon. Um, so if you're finishing church and lunch, uh, make the museum part of your afternoon on, on Sundays. It's a wonderful time. And then... Every first Sunday for the next three years, is we're labeling Access for All Sundays. Okay. It's a free day. There's no admission. There'll be, um, we'll be building up every Sunday more programming. Like this past Sunday, we mm -hmm. had a lot of animals in the We did. We had, a, we had an animal show. Um, but those All Access Sundays coming up, we're, they're really a free family day okay. where you can come and just make art. Enjoy a program and tour the museum. Okay. Fifth, fifth floor fifth of floor? the Shaw Center. Shaw Center for the Arts, mm -hmm. LSU Museum of Art. Get ready to go check it out. Y'all have got lots of fun stuff, and we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Pam. Thank we'll you. you. This is wonderful. We thank you for joining us this morning for AC23. You can catch replays on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Support for this programming comes from Shell, our generous donors, and members. To help us continue programming like this, please consider joining the Arts Council or becoming a donor. Information can be found on our website, artsbr.org. That's A-R-T-S-B-R dot org.